whether it's style of questioning, whether it's um, group discussions, whether it's technology is, does it enhance students' mathematical understanding? That's, that's our single criterion we use. Listening to the EdTech Cubed podcast, conversations in transformation. So, if you were given a GCSE A level class now, where half of your students were at home tuned in uh, to a live session that you were delivering from within a classroom, what would be your online blended learning, hybrid learning approach? There's a structure of three styles of questions that I've used many times in professional development that I suggest teachers use with technology, which is get something moving on the screen and then either ask students why it's moving like that, ask students how it would move to a certain case, or say I'm going to move it, how do you think it will move? So it's this idea of computers learning. You put the student in the position of the teacher, and the computer in the position of the learner is saying to the student, explain this maths to a computer. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the EdTech Cubed podcast. I'm your host, Saki Psafta, and today we'll be talking to Tom Button from MEI on technology and its use in deepening mathematical thinking. We'll be exploring pedagogy, problem-based learning, We'll be exploring uh, tools such as GeoGebra, Desmos, Autograph, and graphical calculators, as well as some advice for schools and teachers who are just starting out. Now, Tom does do a few presentations in this podcast. The video snippets of those can be found on our website, edtechcubed.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter under the handle edtech underscore cubed. So without Further ado, let's start the interview. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the EdTech Cubed podcast. Uh, would you like to start off by uh, just telling us a bit more about yourself and how it is that you came to uh, end up in this really niche area of uh, uh, being a technology specialist, a math technology specialist? Yeah, so I, um, I, I started teaching in 1995. Um, and all for 10 years I taught in different sixth form colleges, mainly A-level maths with a, with a little bit of GC research. Um, and throughout that teaching time, I was always interested in, in how technology could enhance students' understanding. And I think that will come across more when we discuss some of the issues later on today. So that was always an interest of mine. And then in 2005, what was then the Further Maths Network was set up by MEI. If people don't know MEI, MEI is a maths education charity been going for over 50 years and we're mainly known now for the advanced math support program so the further Maths network over a period of 15 years is developed from the further Maths network to the further Maths support program and it's now the advanced Maths support program so gradually over time we've taken taken on more and more things so my role when i joined in 2005 and has developed from there has been very much about how can technology or math technology be used to enhance students understanding of maths how can teachers use technology better in their lessons how can teachers get students using technology but always comes back to the same thing how does it help students understand the maths that they're that they're learning better i'm convinced from my teaching 
what I saw in the classroom, that it can have a huge impact, impact if used effectively. And I've seen that through the many teachers I've worked with over the years. So that, that's led me into a number of different areas of both curriculum development and professional development. So uh, over the years, I've done many, many courses, mainly on using graphing tools. That's a real area that I think has the maximum impact. So using graphing tools like Autograph as was back in the, in the day that then developed into GeoGebra, uh, more use of GeoGebra in the classroom. More recently, I've seen teachers using Desmos more. And I think there's all three of those are, are incredibly powerful tools. And we'll talk later, I think, about how to choose the right one for your school or college. Um, but then I've, I've worked on other things over the past 15 years. So curriculum development, MEI has a further pure with technology unit that students can study start part of further math. So I developed that. Um, I also have written a lot of resources for teachers to help them use technology effectively in the classroom and more recently worked on MEI's data science project, trying to get data science uh, into the classroom, into in front of A-level students. So it's been a range, I think, of different things. It's all around technology in, in maths. But as I say, a lot of it has been around graphing tools and professional development and resources around that, but then some other more specialist developments around there. Right, so Tom, can you uh, tell us how maths has been traditionally taught and what impact technology can have okay so this is probably going to be a sweeping generalization but it's a question i often ask the teachers how were you taught maths and when when you were studying gcse's or o levels if you're old enough or a levels or equivalent and for a lot of teachers their experience of being taught maths was the teacher gave them an example and then they worked through some questions similar to it and I, that that is the case in quite a few classrooms now. I think many things have changed over the years and there are, there are opportunities for different, um, different teaching activities in the classroom. But I think that that's something that teachers, even if they don't teach in that way, will probably recognise it from their own school and this idea of here's an example, now you try some of your own, maybe with the numbers changed. And I think what technology really offers is the opportunity to move away from that mode of teaching, which if people are familiar with, with what Richard Skemp wrote in the 70s about instrumental versus relational understanding in maths, instrumental being, do we, do we know how the method works? Can we replicate a method to maybe multiply numbers or factorize a quadratic equation? To do we have an understanding of the mathematical relationships? Do we know how this links to other mathematical ideas? Can we apply this in an unusual situation? That's the sort of instrumental relational learning idea and I think what technology offers is is a couple of things one of them is a lot of the more instrumental stuff a lot of the stuff about what's the process of this calculation can be outsourced to technology that's how technology is used in the real world pilot flying a plane doesn't get out a pen and paper to work out a bearing the the computer does it for them and so the outsourcing of the mechanics of the instrumental understanding allows more focus on the relational understanding and that is really heightened i think by the i the why i'm so convinced about graphing tools because graphing tools allow you to put algebra and graphs side by side or table of numbers and graphs side by side change them dynamically look at the effects of those changes so for me it's it's not a tool uh, i don't think it's something that you know, everything should be taught with technology. What I think it is, is technology is a tool that for many, many areas of maths 
helps us focus in on these relational ideas, helps us see things quickly, helps us see changes, dynamic things, and helps students develop their, their understanding of relationships within maths. Does using technology require a different pedagogical approach to teaching and learning maths? Difference may be too strong a word. I would probably think of something more like um, how, how should the pedagogy develop if you're going to integrate some use of technology? And I come back to this thing that I keep saying is, you know, there's, there's only one criterion we should use when thinking about a, an educational technique, whether it's style of questioning, whether it's um, group discussions, whether it's technology is, does it enhance students' mathematical understanding? That's, that's our single criterion we're using. So I think if, if we're thinking, okay, if we try and integrate this into areas where we think it will have that impact, does that change the pedagogy? Well, I think, it comes back to my earlier point about it does require essentially a movement away from thinking what how do I get students to replicate the mechanics of this process to thinking about how can I get them to develop their understanding and the links between those two things there is I mean in terms of developing the pedagogy one thing that that you kind of need to let go a little bit with is the idea that because the technology can do things it may present relationships to students that they haven't um, they haven't seen before. There's a thing, a lot of the research and a lot of the things that come out of the US is this idea of, they use this phrase, what do you notice, what do you wonder, quite a lot. And I quite, I quite like, like that in terms of, you can use that with any mathematical situation, but I think it's incredibly powerful. You know, if you've got a picture of a graph moving, saying, what do you notice, what, what do you wonder, is really powerful. Um, is it is it right if, if I screen share something kind of yeah, yeah. Yeah. exemplify that? Let's get um kind of this this is something I've worked with teachers quite a bit in terms of um thinking about the pedagogy because because um whether it's technology or not, I think I think questioning is really, really key for teachers. Thinking about how do you question effectively to help students understand what's going on. And there's, there's a structure of three styles of questions that I've used many times in professional development that I suggest teachers use with technology, which is get something moving on the screen and then either ask students why it's moving like that, ask students how it would move to a certain case, or say, I'm going to move it, how do you think it will move? Be easy to see with an example. So that's what I'm gonna do now. If I just share my screen and I sh hopefully share the right thing with you, which is this one, um, so you should see now uh, a Desmos screen with Y equals MX plus C on it. Yep. Yep. So here's a, here's a really quick one. I can press play. I've got Y equals MX plus C on Desmos. I could have done this on Autograph for GeoGebra. I can press play and I can ask students the first of those questions. How is that moving and why is it moving like that? Now I find this a really interesting one because of when I've used this with students, so M's fixed at two, this is my straight line graph, Y equals MX plus C. M's fixed at two. Some students will think this is moving left to right, and some think students will think it's moving up and down. In a sense, they're both right, but, and I'll leave this for people to have a, have a think about, it's a lot easier to describe this motion by describe, describing it as up down. And you can see that if I put the point zero C on here, and then play it again, that sort of acts as, not an optical illusion, but that sort of focuses the attention of students on seeing actually that's a really simple way 
of identifying the motionless thing. So that's the first example, you know, how do I move this line? Oh, sorry, if this line is moving, how is it moving and why is it moving like that? The, the second question that I think is a really powerful one is how do I move it so a certain thing happens? Let me add a point on here. I'm going to add on the point uh, 2 comma 3. So my question would then be, how can I change this value of C so that the line goes through 2, 3? So this is the second of these questioning styles. How can I change it so a certain thing happens? And I'll get students to work that out, and you might have worked it out already. It's negative 1, I think. And then the third one, let me bring in a third graph over here. The third one is saying to students, I'm going to make this move. How do you think it will move? Now, this one's a bit of a harder one. So people listening and watching can, can think about it. But I could say, I'm going to, I've got y equals x squared plus bx plus c. I'm going to press play on this b button. B is going to change. How will this curve move and why? And I give students a minute to think about it and discuss it, talk about it. And then I would press the play button and show them it. And we see this motion, which they might or might not have predicted. So what I think that is, is an example of how um, thinking about something related to pedagogy, which is the questioning, which I think is so key in the classroom. How can that questioning not necessarily change, but, but use the potential, use the power of what the tool can do. The, the tool can create a, a graphing that can, create a graph that can be moved dynamically. How do we then adapt our questioning to really access that potential? I blogged about this in a bit more detail. I can give the link to the blog um, later on, but there's the, uh, there's the link to the blog where I actually wrote a blog about those, those three styles of questions and how they can be used. Super, so you've got three forms of sort of questioning there. Mm. Or to do with animation and, and getting students to start thinking critically about the way algebra and uh, a graph are then related as, as yeah. things move. If you were to extend that to investigations or problem based learning or real life situations like Wolfram Alpha, uh, yeah, yeah. I think Wolfram's got his own sort of TED talk about uh, practical mm -hmm. ways of uh, teaching maths for the future. Well, it's yeah, no yeah. longer about number crunching, but being able to apply it critically to new situations. Should students be taught in, in, in that way? I think it's a really interesting question. And again, this is something that goes deeper than just te technology. I think, I think technology in maths education brings this issue to the fore, but it's a question that I think a lot of maths teachers are, are, are dealing with. I mean, my own experience, uh, the Cockroft report was re released, I think, in 1982. Throughout the 80s, towards the end of my period of schooling, lots more investigative work was being brought in. And by the time I started teaching in 95, there was a large amount of investigative work in the classroom, coursework in GCC, coursework in A-level. I think the pendulum swung over the past 25 years away from investigative work and people have, have had issues with it. Um, now, I, I feel that the there's a lot of a grey area there and the debate is it, it's sort of simplified and presented as black and white in a way that it isn't. I think, you know, 
at one extreme, there's people who say, you know, all investigative work is just an opportunity for students to, to mess around and one, one will take the lead and nobody will, will get anything, nobody else will get anything useful out of it. Um, and then at the other end of the, of the debate, you've got people who think it should, you know, everything should be investigative work and problem-based learning and that's, that's the best way to learn it. And I think there's a, there's a space in the middle, really. I think completely open-ended work is something that's very hard to manage in the classroom and it's very difficult to cover the curriculum with it but at the, at the other extreme you don't want just here's an example now go and do a dozen of them yourself so i think it's a case of thinking okay how do we create interesting activities in the classroom that achieve a couple of things that give op students a chance to observe and get a deep understanding of connections mathematical relationships how does the graph link to the algebra how do the numbers link to the to the to the graph and secondly um to give them um give them a chance to maybe do some selection of techniques it's one thing certainly with the new a level and the problem solving element of the new a level there's a there's a greater emphasis on students being able to being able to select techniques which is something that they're only going to be able to do if they practice it so for example so coming back to your question, you know, at the, if you've just been teaching Pythagoras and then you give them some problems that require Pythagoras, it's, it, it, the, the student isn't practicing the idea of seeing a, a completely new problem that doesn't mention Pythagoras and selecting Pythagoras from their toolkit. Because they know, you know, they've practiced some questions just as pure math questions on Pythagoras and then there's some Pythagoras questions in context. At no point when they're doing that, do they have to look at an unknown situation and think, oh, that's probably Pythagoras. And so I would say they're, they're the two things to, to, to focus on. You know, in, in your lessons, what are the opportunities for students to select techniques from their mathematical toolkit without there necessarily be, it being really obvious which one it is? Because that's a highly valued skill. And the second one is where are the opportunities to observe and develop their understanding of relationships and links so if you've got selecting techniques and you've got opportunities to to observe links then i think that's powerful so technology i think does allow that because um as soon as you build in the idea of it might be a graph that helps us understand this thing can we plot this graph can we move this graph how does that help us how does that help us with this with the, with solving that there is i mean one thing that's massively overlooked in terms of the discussion about technology i think by the time you get to a level and certainly in many gcc questions you wouldn't expect a student to multiply two five digit numbers by hand you just you know it's something that you know they learn multiplying um say two one digit numbers two two digit numbers low down school get up to five digit numbers nobody multiplies that by hand why not well it, it takes ages technology can do it and it doesn't really develop students understanding to do that and so I think there are spaces where we could use things like graphing tools and spreadsheets and geometry tools in that same way. Where are the problems where we're not really interested in the mechanics of can students sketch this particular curve? What we're interested in is can they use the graphical representation to say something about the function, to interpret something about the situation? So that's, that's, I think, where there is potential for that. And I think it's not 
an either or. It's not a here's a question, do a dozen examples, and it's not let's learn everything through investigation based learning. It's a case of building in activities that you know almost have got the best of both worlds if you can that have opportunities for students to practice things like selecting techniques to practice you know spotting its pythagoras and being able to solve using pythagoras but at the same time making those links between graphs algebra and, and numbers super tom the examples you've shown us so far and the discussions we've had have been really about um exploratory sort of learning and you know uh mathematical reasoning about how uh uh you know a, a dynamic piece of application can give rise to some deeper level or higher cognitive sort of thinking and and just to be clear th there's obviously a, a whole um area of math and technology which is more sort of website and assessment based whether it's hegarty maths or uh mathletics and um my maths you know those sorts of sites that math teachers often use uh to a set homework b identify misconceptions possibly even address them are you a fan of that sort of use of technology is that effective use of technology for you as well yeah i i i'm not speaking from a position of expertise on that so I think uh, what I do know is when EEF, Educational Endowment Foundation, did some research about, they did a massive project on Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 3 um, maths. And this looked at lots of areas, but specifically there was an, an element in this that was looking at the, at the curriculum. Uh, sorry, they were looking at the use of technology in the maths curriculum. And they split things exactly as you're saying there. They essentially said, what are the opportunities for enhancing understanding for learning if we use mathematical tools mathematical technology tools like graphing and uh, geometry and calculators and then separately if we what are the opportunities for for learning if we use these systems that students can practice techniques i i'm not really speaking from a point a view where I know too much about the latter. I've never particularly used them in detail. And as I say, I think I'm more interested. I think there's much more potential for, for the use of mathematical technological tools, graphing, spreadsheets, calculators, dynamic geometry. So, yeah, it's not a great answer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't really want to expand more. I, I I don't know much about them. It's not really been an area that I've spent a lot of time investigating or or worked with teachers on. So having taught some A-level maths myself for a good number of years and, and being a strong advocate of technology myself. Yeah. And and I've seen how for the mechanics modules, you've mm -hmm. created these amazing dynamic models of uh, past exam paper questions, yeah, which yeah. suddenly open up the, the potential for discussion about how what happens when you change variables and, and so forth. My question is, what do you do with the smart addict, the, the smart student in the class who knows uh, the question you're going to pose and, and has thought things through and, and is very quick to give a response? Would you ever give them a, a problem where they have to then model it themselves uh, using GeoGebra or another application? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a, 
this is kind of coming into the realm of of to where does the role of technology sit with this or does it sit with the student or does it sit with the teacher and i think they that kind of needs to be drawn out a bit and i always encourage teachers to reflect on their own use of technology is the technology being used by them as a tool at the front of the classroom it can be very powerful to put graphs up like i showed uh, 10 minutes ago and ask some questions and get students to think collectively discuss what's going on there develop their mathematical thinking through them observing you as a teacher manipulate maths and technology. I think there's a whole other space for looking at getting students using technology themselves. And I think both have real potential, but need to be thought of separately. I mean, at MEI, we've developed a whole range of student tasks. We've done some for autograph. GeoGebra, Desmos and Casio graphical calculators that say, okay, here's the tool, you start using this as a mathematical tool. And that is is a that presents its own challenges, but I think again that has huge potential to enhance students' understanding. All I can merely say is I've understood maths better by using technology myself. There's a whole there's some great stuff from from when I did my master's, people might be familiar with Logo, the old software with the turtle that was developed by a chap called Simo Papert, who's unfortunately no longer with us, but he wrote about this idea of something he called constructionism. And at the heart of it was this really powerful idea, which was what he phrased as computer as learner. The idea being that we know as teachers, when we've got to explain something to somebody else, we have to understand it better. It's just you, you you think you understand something and then you try explaining and you think hold on a minute I didn't understand that and as soon as you start explaining something or think about how you're going to explain something then you realize okay I've got, I've got to understand this better his idea and I think it's a brilliant one and it's informed so many things that 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 I've done is we want to create small opportunities for students to do that we want to create small opportunities for students to try and explain their understanding to somebody else because in explaining that understanding, they will develop their own ideas. It will reinforce their understanding, it will reveal any misconceptions once they try explaining it to somebody else. Now you can do that in a classroom. We talked earlier about investigative work. I know there's some people who have reservations about discussion in the classroom. Uh, I think discussion in the classroom can be great, but it can be hard to manage. What technology allows us to do is say, okay, let's have the student explain the math to a computer. Now, obviously they can't do that verbally, but if I say to a student, I want you to create me a line that goes through one, three and five, seven. And then I want you to create me the perpendicular line to that that goes through another point five, three, seven. Well, that, the student getting all of that into the computer, they need to type something in and that process Seema Papa suggested is the same as explaining it verbally to someone else. So it's this idea of computers learner. You put the student in the position of the teacher and the computer in the position of the learner, and you're saying to the student, explain this maths to a computer. Uh, and I think it's, it's a phrase from one of Douglas Adams' books. It's like a perfectly stupid student in the best way. Or certainly a perfectly literal, a computer is a perfectly literal student. You've got to explain what you're doing really carefully and if you explain it correctly it will do it right and so i think that's where 
going back to your original question, I think there is huge potential. And I, and I don't think this is just necessarily for the highest attaining students. I think all students can gain, gain from this. Give them opportunities to try and model something in the, in the software. A really simple place to start is say to students, you know, we might have just done a past paper question. Half the class got stuck on it. You as the teacher in the next lesson, go through the question, questions show where the misconceptions were show where some silly mistakes were made and then say to them okay now you've got a, a deeper understanding of this particular question i don't know it might be about tangents or circles let's get that into some software can you just literally get the question from the exam paper into the software that in itself is a great place to start for many students and it it feels relevant to the students because if you've linked it say to past paper question you can say okay we're going to see, does typing this into the computer develop your understanding of it? So, yeah, I think in answer, in answer to your question, I'd strongly advocate getting stu all students, not just high attaining ones, to try modelling things in the software, even if it's just modelling a simple pure maths question, because I think the potential for learning there is massive. Brilliant. I think you've sort of answered my question there, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway, just, just to see yeah, yeah. If you add anything. It's the common sort of issue that, one often encounters uh, your average math teacher says look I need to get through a scheme of work uh, we're under pressure to get grade eights and nines yeah. uh, at GCSE or a level we want to get so you know these sort of grades uh, we need to drill through past paper questions identify yeah. the misconceptions and then let them yeah, yeah, focus yeah. on it Absolutely. where is the room for us to uh, do some investigative maths so I think Looking back at my own teaching, I, you know, I remember times when I would set students' work to be going on and then I would be stood there in the classroom and they would be working on things and occasionally a student would have a problem and I'd help them with it. Now, that wasn't the most effective use of my time. I think what a more effective use of the time is thinking about, okay, getting students to try some things, using that to identify some misconceptions and then directly doing something to work with and, and support them in doing that, uh, support them in understanding that. I do think technology is a fantastic tool for identifying misconceptions. You can ask what if type things. You can, you know, you can say, well, uh, you know, y equals mx plus c, can that line ever be vertical? And I've had some great discussions with students. Literally, it's been for like a five-minute discussion, but it's been brilliant. You know, oh, yeah, why? Because MX plus, plus C can be vertical if M's really big. Well, what does really big mean? You know, do we allow infinity? Is M allowed to be infinity in Y because MX plus C? There's some great, you know, discussions there. And I think those discussions don't need to be very long. And what technology does, I think technology saves time because technology allows you to very quickly get a picture up on the screen of what you're talking about. And I really, um, it sort of comes down to where teachers are in their use of technology, but it's really easy in any of these tools, Autograph, Desmos, Jojo, but just to type something like Y equals MX plus C and change M. That's so quick. I can do that. I can do that quicker than I can write a PowerPoint slide that's got Y equals MX plus C on. And it's going to have much more potential there. I can start talking about, okay, what happens as I change M? Can I see what, what's going on there? So what I would say to teachers is that there really are time-saving 
opportunities or potential to very quickly get to the heart of where students' misconceptions are and show them something. You know, there's, I think teachers say this in, in all sorts of subjects, don't show, tell. Well, this idea of don't show, tell, you know, you can almost very, like, why, because Emmett Fusier, as I say, is a classic, you know, can M ever be vertical? Well, let's make M a massive number and we can still see there's a, you know, a slight tilt on the line. And it's that potential that I think the tools have developed so much over the years. I was a massive autograph user 20 years ago. Autographs developed so much. And GeoGebra and Desmos are, have come along as well. And they're so easy to use. And so, yeah, I, will, I completely understand that. The curriculum feels big for GCC and A-level. But I see technology as a, as a time-saving tool as opposed to an icing on the cake. Super. And that brings us really nicely onto our next theme or topic, uh, which is more an in-depth dive now into technology tools themselves. Mm. Why are there so many options for using technology? I mean, you've mentioned GeoGebra, Desmos, Autograph, Graphical Calculators. And what advice would you give to schools making a choice about which ones to use with their students? So I mentioned earlier about you want to be able to get a picture of a graph up there maybe get a table of numbers that goes along with it and you want to be able to change something quickly. That's the real big thing to be able to do. There's one tool in technology that is fantastic. It's dynamic graphing. It's graphing that changes. We can change a parameter and see what happens. So Autograph, GeoGebra, Desmos, even Casio graphical calculators have this potential. I think what, or certainly given a lot of the research that I've read and my experience of working with lots of teachers is I would say um, have a departmental decision on this. That seems to be where I've seen the best impact in terms of teachers and what schools or colleges have done. So within your department, it might be something that say the head of department leads on, it might be somebody else, but have a look at where your skill set of your teachers is. Have a look at where you might already have some resources and pick one and run with it. And, and for me, as I say, auto, that could be Autograph, Desmos, or, or GeoGebra. Uh, that would be the, the, my main suggestion in terms of teacher, teacher use. Think about, have you any reason to go with these? Have you already got some, a lot of resources developed in these? Pick one of these big ones and go with it. The other thing to factor in there is, we mentioned student use earlier on, and Student use is really, really powerful, but it needs students to be on a device. So this, this is a practical issue that can't be sidestepped, really, is if you want students to use technology, if you want students to use technology in the classroom, they've got to have a device. That could be a graphical calculator. It could be a laptop or a Chromebook or a tablet. It could be a smartphone. I get there's lots of issues with that, and I think something we hopefully get to expand on a bit more. But basically, they need one of those devices to run technology. Which one of those devices is going to be practical in your classroom? For many years of working with teachers, I think suggesting to teachers that you can easily plot a graph on the screen behind you and move it, that doesn't require a huge change in classroom setup, classroom practice for a lot of teachers. It can be an evolution from where they are. Thinking about students using devices and doing technology in the classroom is often a bigger step for teachers. I think it's a step worth taking, 
but it comes back to the device issue. And so what I would say is, what's gonna be practical in your school or college? Are you a school or college that is fine with students using smartphones if it's well managed? If so, Georgia and Desmos have got brilliant smartphone apps and it's fantastic. If not, and there's many places that aren't, then what routes can you go down? Well, graphical calculators are great and they've got the advantage of being able to use in the exam. Um, alternatively, if you've got laptops or tablets or Chromebooks, what's the practical issues? You know, it's one thing saying, oh yeah, I've got a set of 20, 30 Windows laptops, but if they take half an hour to boot up, then that's not an effective device to use in the classroom. So I, I would factor in those two things and make a departmental decision. What experience do you have already of using tools across your department? If we're going to agree on one, which one is which one are we going to use? And secondly, will that then feed into student use? And what devices, once you've decided on a device, I think it's then easy to then make the decision about the platform following that. So you mentioned when you started teaching, it was with Autograph. And, yep. and now obviously GeoGebra, Desmos, have, have mm -hmm. evolved. Uh, so how are these platforms developing and are there any new features that teachers might be interested in uh, and which might actually inform their decision? Hypothetically speaking, say you were running a department and it yeah. was divided. Half of them said we will not use GeoGebra, yeah. the other half said Desmos, Autograph. What, what sort of factors would you want to consider? Well, I mean, if I was running, running a department and I literally had a half and half split, if it was big enough, I'd say, fine, you know, if you're prepared to work as two teams, that's, that's, that's cool. But um, I think in terms of new features, the um, Autograph are developing a new web-based version. I think it's just, it's just in testing stages at the minute, but that looks really interesting. So they've recently allowed free download of Autograph, which used to be paid for software and they're developing a web-based version. That's, that's massively interesting. Is there an app version as well with Autograph? Uh, I don't think so at this stage. I don't know what's happening, whether that's coming. Um, Desmos have developed the classroom activities. And if you've not seen Desmos classroom activities, they're amazing. If there's one thing to look at after this podcast, and you've not seen Desmos classroom activities, they are brilliant especially given all the turmoil we've had in the last six months and the potential to support blended learning live online learning face-to-face -face. they're brilliant and they're they're a series of screens that the students can work through with mathematical elements lots of opportunities for expert explanation opportunities for students to do things and as a teacher they've got a whole platform built around this that you can monitor students how students are progressing with these activities. So these classroom activities, if anybody here has heard of Dan Mayer from over the, in the US, he's, he was, he's their main lead in terms of developing these classroom activities and they are fantastic. Unfortunately, they're a little bit US based at the minute. There are a couple of collections that myself and my colleague Natalie Vernon have done to tie them to the UK curriculum, but I think there's real potential there. And, I, and what has been amazing in the six months of of lockdown. I mean, they're based in California and people are probably aware how badly California's been affected by coronavirus. They've really stepped up their new features. It's almost been every Friday there's been a new feature. It's let's have co-teachers on the activity. Let's have one class code for the year comes out one Friday. The next Friday, let's have comments. You can put comments on. The next Friday, students can reply to their comments. 
on top of new activities being created, that platform is just developing all the time. And the use, speaking to the team over in the in California, the use has just skyrocketed in during lockdown because as a tool it works so well with that. So that's that is just developing and coming on all all the time. And and sorry, just before you move on, it, just to be clear, Dan Mayers is leading on this. Is he? Is he? Yeah, yeah. He with the Desmos content. He works full time for Desmos now. They've got a big oh, wow. team, of people, big team of people working on on their classroom wow. activities. I mean, just wow. to, if people haven't seen them, let me just give you a quick show of. Uh, let me quickly show you what what they look like and the kind of thing you see as a teacher. So uh, let me. You go into the platform here. As I say, there's a couple of collections for the UK that myself and my colleague have put together. Um, but one of the great things is, I'll just show you what you see if you go in as a teacher, because you see how powerful it is. This has been anonymized, which is great that students can do that. So every student gets given a famous mathematician's name. And then you literally can go in and go through the screens. The students go through these screens one at a time. But you as a teacher can go in and have a look at what the different students have written. I can even see a full teacher summary of, uh, let's get a good one. Here we go. These are all the different students' responses to this, where they move the red point to on the question and what they wrote there. I mean, that's nowhere near doing it justice, but that's a quick snapshot of what a powerful tool it is. And as I say, they've noticed in the US that combinations of blended learning, live online learning, some students in class, some not, setting students work to do outside the classroom. It's brilliant in terms of developing uh, mathematical understanding. So that feels to me as, as a really exciting development and, and they add new features to it all the time and making it really powerful. Coming up hot on the heels of that, GeoGebra have developed GeoGebra Classroom. I would say that's probably about five years behind where Desmos Classroom is. I think GeoGebra Classroom doesn't have all the bells and whistles of the, the, the functionality that's built into Desmos Classroom activities is amazing. GeoGebra is a, is a bit of a classroom, is a new thing. It's a bit of a slimmed down version of that. What Joe, where GeoGebra Classroom might be a, appealing to some teachers is if you're already a GeoGebra user and you've already got loads of GeoGebra files, it's really easy now. You go onto the GeoGebra website, you press a button and it turns it into a classroom activity. So if you've already written something that, written a nice file to demonstrate how the gradient of the tangent to a curve changes as it moves along a slope, you already have that. You just press one button and then you can send it out to all your students and they can, you can ask them a question, where do you move it to so this happens? And you can see their responses. So I think my advice would be, you know, if you're coming into these things from scratch, Desmos Classroom activities are brilliant. Go with them. They are amazing in terms of the functionality you get from the Desmos platform. If you're coming into this as somebody who spent the last five years developing GeoGebra activities, Go and look at GeoGebra Classroom. Look how easy it is just to open one of your existing files on GeoGebra if you've got it saved in the web version. If it's saved in the web version, just go on there and just click Create Classroom and, uh, and it's done. So that's, I think, I think you know, GeoGebra have obviously, as a piece of mathematical stuff, software, 
is six or seven years older than started mid 2000s and I think Desmos died about 2012 so they're that much older so the mathematical software is maybe developed further can do more things like computer algebra and spreadsheets and, and 3D but they're now sort of seeing what Desmos have done with the classroom so that's that's how I think the three are developing it's it's, it's quite exciting certainly some, some from my perspective who knows them all well and can see the potential for all these things I can see how for teachers it can be confusing if, if they're feeling like where do I start um, that can be that could be a difficult question so just to wrap up the pedagogy and technology mm. discussion we spoke about using the teacher using some sort of application the GeoGebra Autograph as a teaching tool students being exposed to uh, modeling and being able to input and uh, create content on on uh, these applications and now synchronous learning through GeoGebra Classroom or what mm -hmm. Desmos has to offer what about asynchronous learning where you have an online discussion forum where it's not an immediate answer they have to really think maybe through the problem for a couple of days or a week or there's video content that they have to sort of digest Khan Academy is a really good example yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so where does asynchronous learning fit in with your in your view with uh, effective use of technology um i think both of those classroom tools the the jodby one and especially the desmos classroom activities allow opportunities for asynchronous as well so for example as a teacher you could you you could have this week's class activity is on uh, uh finding sides with with sign and cos and you could have your activity and you could send it out to the students and you can send them the class code and say uh you can basically control when it's live or not so you could send them the class code and say this activity is going to be live from wednesday morning through till sunday afternoon and so you've got to do this activity at some point in that so it does allow the opportunity for asynchronous learning and students can obviously pause it at, at that point so i think these tools have automatically got that built in i feel the there's the flexibility with them that allows them to be used both synchronously whether in the classroom or in online platforms or asynchronously in that in that way the video content thing is interesting i've you know i've observed things like khan academy i've been very involved in what we've done in the um advanced math support program with the further math videos so we um, I was part of the team that edited and created and led on the development of a whole series of short videos to teach the, the content of, of the further maths across all the four main specifications. What I would say is, years ago I, I, when I did a master's, I looked at online learning, I looked at video content. I've yet to see anything that, to convince me that students can effectively learn from video content. So I think what videos are very useful for is short elements that allow an input of an idea. And we really wanted to make it clear when we did the further mass videos for, uh, for AMSP that we weren't expecting the students to learn from the videos. What we want is we want to get the students to a position where they can start working through some questions, working through some 
problems, hopefully some sense of graded questions, some questions that develop the ideas a bit. And the learning happens when they get stuck and sort out the problems. The learning doesn't happen when they're watching the video. The other thing that greatly informed us was we tried our hardest to keep all the videos down to less than five minutes. Didn't achieve it, wish we had to be honest. Um, in a separate project, I said I've been working on this data science for A-level students. I I, we created some data science for resources for A-level students this summer. If anyone's interested, the worth looking at. We've done the pilot. We're going to release them in a bigger way for all A-level math students. It's a short course of eight lessons for students to do. I worked with a, an expert in computing education on that, and he claimed and then showed me some research that said three minutes 45 was the magic number for a video. That literally, if your video is longer than three minutes 45, that's when you get drop off. And so what, you know, there's no point having a 20 minute video that explains something. And you think, well, what can I do in 3.45? And it's not a lot. Excuse me, I just need. It, it almost <laughs> approximates pi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we applied this to the data science materials. Um, so I re recorded some, we had some lessons, and there was a short video that introduced the idea, sent them off to a data science coding activity. They came back and watched a second video. All of those videos were 3.45 or shorter. And when you looked at the graphs for people stayed on those videos, all the graphs, when you look at them on YouTube, were the same for those. You got the drop off you always get, because if you have any video, I don't know if people have looked at YouTube video graphs, whatever you, what video you have, some people will click on it, watch 10 seconds and go away. You know, and I'm sure that happens to mega stars as it does to, to people creating educational videos. But what you want is after that sort of 20 seconds when people have looked and gone away is sort of the level that it stays at. And while I was amazed looking at these videos that we recorded for data scientists, people were staying, almost all of them. So it starts at 100% at zero. By 20 seconds, you're down to about 65, 70%. But then 20 seconds to the end, it stays. Uh, and that sort of confirmed to us that we'd make the right decision about those. So going back to your question is, you know, what's the potential for videos? Well, if you know you can't record something more than three minutes 45, that really focuses your mind on, well, what can I do? What can I actually do in a video content that students are going to learn? From? This is completely consistent for me with the idea that I don't really think students are going to learn much maths in a video. What a video can do is introduce them to a simple idea. They might be learning calculus and you might say, okay, look at this, I can move a tangent on a curve. I can measure the slope of the tangent to the curve. I can try and work out what that slope is based on the x value. Okay, for x squared, I could show it's 2x. Now go and have a go at some of these problems. And I think that, that to me is where the potential is for maybe some asynchronous video content. Um, is to say, okay, how can we produce small snippets of things that then feed into students' learning? But I still, still feel fairly strongly that not a lot of learning occurs when students watch a video. It's a bit too passive an experience anyway. The learning's gonna occur when they then have a go at a, go at a problem. I think, you know, teachers have been put in a hard position this, this summer, and I, you know, I feel for teachers 
I've, I've spent years being interested in online learning, thinking about should we do synchronous or asynchronous? How does technology work? Delivering online professional development, delivering online tuition. Learned a few things the hard way, what works and what doesn't. All of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of teachers were thrown in at the deep end in, in March and April this year. What about somebody like Veritasium, who, like you just said, uh, and I believe he was doing some research the last time I sort of uh, probed into his um, ideas that a well-explained well video doesn't necessarily improve or deepen a student's understanding. And so his whole approach, I think he's more physics orientated though, but his whole approach is actually to use video content to explore misconceptions. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've... I've not, I'm not familiar with, with his videos. I think one thing we did in the past, which is very popular with the old, when we were the FMSP, was we would have some, record, we recorded some short videos with answers to past paper questions. And I know exam solutions are very effective at doing that. And speaking to students, students really like them. I think if students use those sensibly, and the students are, you know, I, I, I did some work with the college about three years ago and it was interesting. I, I interviewed all the year 13 students about their study habits. And it was very interesting. The study habits literally split into the, the high attaining students. You know, you would ask them a question like, what do you do when you get stuck on a math question? And these students would say, well, uh, I ring up my friend to see if he's got the answer or I go on exam solutions and I watch the video there to see see how he's done it. And then you ask the lower tenure students, what do you do if you get stuck? And you can probably guess this and you just, don't know. And, and that w was quite stark. And of those high attaining students, many of them suggested exam solutions or a couple of the other ex exam paper websites and I think that can be a really powerful tool what I would say and I said to these students is there's no point reading the past paper question and then go straight on exam solutions but you have a go at the past paper question get stuck then look at the video that's when it can be a real really powerful learning tool and it, and it, it as I say that whole thing feels consistent to me with the idea of where are students going to learn well students are going to learn or a lot of their learning takes place when they try something get stuck try something doesn't work and then they sort out through the teacher or through some other medium what the solution you know where their problem is and how they've been stuck so i think yeah there is real potential there and some people have done some great work with those things but it, it is a prerequisite for me you know it it's not a silver bullet the video solution what the video solution is, is because of the internet and the ease of accessibility and the way you can have tens of thousands of these things that are well catalogued. It's an easy way for a student then to get some support. So it kind of fits in with, fits in with that idea. Um, yeah, it was all sort of coming back to the learning skills and coming back to where does learning take place. Yeah, funny enough, I remember a case of a student who probably had one of the best teachers in the department, but she wasn't getting very good grades during her mock tests. And um, 
at some point she started hitting high 90s consistently and we we sort of investigated and, and said look you know what what's changed and uh how, how comes you you know you, you're getting high 90s in all your tests and she basically said after each lesson i go onto youtube i'm not sure which channel she was watching but the point is she found a teacher whose teaching style suited her learning style and yeah i've got to say on that note exam solutions was really popular with, with my students when i was teaching them when i was teaching a level at the time and i think one of the things it does is i know rosenshine talks about uh, effective modeling to students and and i'm sure you appreciate as a a level math teacher that sometimes it is about students being able to not just think through problems but being able to articulate and write it down in some sort of structured coherent way that's eligible and makes sense to somebody else and exam solutions certainly does that really well so w- would you say that has a role sort of effective modeling of thinking p- processes and how to write steps out yeah absolutely and you know it almost comes full circle back to what I was saying earlier about opportunities for communicating you know we want to i think I think some students think, well, you know, if the answer to the question is 17 over four and I've got 17 over four, why do they care what I've written in the middle? And this sense of communicating mathematically that that's what they're doing when they're writing a, an answer to a homework question, when they're solving a problem in class or when they're, you know, they're doing their final exams, they're trying to communicate mathematically. And so any, anything that helps them see a model of that, I think is powerful. Tom, let's move on to schools and teachers. So if a teacher is nervous about using technology in a class, where should they start? I, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier about um, getting a question and just typing it into some software. I would, I would suggest that, you know, so Autograph's not free on the web yet, but it's going to be, but Desmos and Jojiba are free on the, on the web. Open up something like Desmos. If you, especially if you've got a question that you know students have struggled with. Even more so if it's a graphical question, because it will really help with that. Open up Desmos and just type it into there. And then think about how you would change that and what are the questions you could ask. What, what I find is that when I deliver professional development for teachers, quite often I get people who are absolute beginners with the technology. It only takes five or ten minutes to learn these technologies. They're so user friendly. It's not like programming a computer was 30 years ago. You just open up the website. You know, you, uh, um, I had it pre-made earlier. Let me just uh, let me just share it and just do it to show you just how quickly it is. You know, um, okay. So you open up the Desmos website. It looks like this. I type y equals mx plus c. Hit return, and then I can start changing. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it is that easy. It's that user-friendly. For me, what's interesting and where teachers' attention should be focused is what are the good questions you could ask with that? So if you've got a question that students have had a misconception on, type that question into here and then maybe just change one of the letters for a num- uh, one of the numbers for a letter. Move it around. It's, you know, they've even got an animated plaything on here. You can just press and think and think about it. So that would be a great place, I think, for teachers 
to start, find a question that you know students have been stuck on, had some misconceptions on, get a picture of it on the screen, and then could you change something about it that, that would allow you to question and help your students unpick their misconceptions, develop their ideas, develop their, their links and their relationships with that. But as I say, it's, these tools are really, really easy to use. I would also say, don't be scared if you see somebody's done something really fancy. People have done amazing things on GeoGebra and Desmos. That's great. And maybe in two, three years, you'll be able to do that. But that doesn't ma matter. I think, um, you know, I think about my first lesson with technology in the classroom is something dynamic. Didn't have Desmos back then. Um, didn't even have autograph in the college I was working with. In, I literally had Excel and I plotted a circle and I plotted a straight line on Excel and changed the value of C on the straight line and moved it. And that, you know, it was very clunky and it didn't look great, but that's not, not really the important thing. Actually, now you can do it on technology like this and it isn't clunky and it does look great, but it still sort of comes down to that, that questioning. The other thing is I mentioned earlier about teacher use and student use. I know my own development of technology in the classroom was thinking about a small evolution of what I already did. Where I might have had a picture, a static picture or drawn a graph to talk about it, are there opportunities to have a dynamic graph? Are there opportunities to have a graph that moves and develop the question that? So th it doesn't take a huge change. I don't have to change the layout of my classroom to do that. Most teachers now, I mean, when I started using this stuff, you had to book out the college's projector because the college only had two projectors. Now I imagine most teachers teach in a classroom with either a projector or some sort of smart TV. It's, you can open the website, you can plot a graph, get comfortable enough that you can type something like this and then start thinking about the questioning. I would say, as, as I said, my own development was, was developing my skills as a classroom teacher to use it on the whiteboard behind me. Most people I know who are effective practitioners who are using technology have probably gone through that same process. I don't know if it was yours as well. You know, do, Was that the first thing you did, using a graph on the screen before you thought about student use of it? Yeah, pretty much. When I started, in fact, it was, the, the culture in the department was actually just using your uh, pen or, on your whiteboard to, to draw a graph. Uh, and it's quite common for, uh, I remember one teacher, in fact, he was just brilliant at writing out all his notes on the board. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but I think even the critics or cynics of technology, I haven't really found one when it comes to using programs like GeoGebra and Desmos and realizing how much time it can save but also how it can deepen conversations i was gonna say i think you know you're right that there's often be a cynic my experience is the vast vast majority of math teachers 80 90 percent of them neither love nor hate technology for its own sake the vast majority just want things that help their students understand the maths better mm. and so that's that to me it comes back to what i said right at the beginning there's one criterion to use, 
when you're assessing whether to use technology in the classroom, is it going to help your students understand the maths better? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you do get the odd cynic. You do get the odd person who absolutely loves it and wants to use it all over the place. The vast, vast majority of teachers I've encountered are somewhere in the middle. Show me, show me this is a tool that will help the, help the kids understand more and I'll use it. Just going back to teachers who are new to technology, you mentioned some resources on the MEI website. What opportunities are there for teachers to develop their uh, digital skills? On the, uh, on the MEI website, there is a section under teachers technology. And in there, there's loads of tasks for using these tools in the classroom and guidance. So if you've decided on a tool, Autograph, Casio, Desmos, GeoGebra, have a go at one of those tasks there. there. Or have a look at those sets of tasks, they're great. The other thing I point teachers at is on the AMSP website, we've got loads of professional development courses, especially things on Desmos and GeoGebra. If you want things on Autograph, I'd suggest going straight to Autograph themselves, they've started doing a lot more online training for that. Um, but if I go under A-level Maths Professional Development, you'll see we've got, if we're going to the events calendar, in particular, we've got self-paced study GeoGebra course, we've got self-paced study Desmos course, and starting on the 23rd of September, we've got a, a live online series. So if anyone's picking this up now, or even you can join this later on over the term, We've got um, six fortnightly sessions on a Wednesday, late afternoon, 4.30 till, till 6, starting, uh, starting on the 23rd of September and throughout the term. As I said, people pick this up later on in the term and they're interested, you can join this one later on in the term as well. So I think those, those would be two good places to start. Have a look at, work through some of these tasks for your software choice on here. I'll give you some ideas as to how they can be used in teaching and learning now on the MEI website. Over on the AMSP website, have a look at what professional development courses are coming up and whether there's something that would suit you, either self-study one or joining a, joining a live one. So this brings us to our last question. Uh, probably sums up everything we've sort of spoke about so far in terms of pedagogy and technology putting that into context of our current situation where we're in the midst of a pandemic, there's this uh, hybrid flexible learning going on with some students at home, uh, some being in a classroom, some uh, being at home, but self-isolating and therefore uh, might be ill and, and can't join the live session. So if you were given a GCSE A-level class now where half of your students were at home tuned in uh, to a live session that you're delivering from within a classroom, what would be your online blended learning, hybrid learning approach? I think given the functionality, I'd be looking at Desmos classroom activities. We've recently used them very effectively in terms of a lot of our professional development that AMSP offers. So AMSP's professional development prior to lockdown, the majority of it was face-to-face -face, and then we had a small element, maybe about a quarter of it was, was online. That's obviously shifted to almost, well, currently 100% online. Um, what, even though schools are back, there's still not an appetite for teachers to go to a different venue for a face-to-face -face course. So we found Desmos Classroom a really effective tool 
both to set asynchronous work to teachers and also to complement live platforms, whether that's Zoom or Teams Live or some other platform. The, you can run, and it's, we're going to be using Zoom for that Desmos, Teaching with Desmos series. You, you can run a Desmos classroom live alongside a live online lesson. So you literally, you can talk to the students, we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing that. Now I want you to go into the activity. And as a teacher, I can see what every student is doing the activity. I'm getting them to type things in, I'm getting them to answer questions, getting them to do some calculations and seeing the results, can do things like card sorts. It's it's really powerful tool that just seems to fit so well with either synchronous or asynchronous learning and fits so well with these online platforms. So so for me, it is going to be, a, you know, I think everyone knows this is going to be a difficult year. And trying to get you know support students who've missed schooling trying to work with students where you might not have 100 percent of your cohort in trying to work with situations where you might mix some blended or face-to-face -face, or even worst case scenarios where you lose whole year groups for some reason you know we know it's going to be a difficult year whatever of those situations pans out i i think desmos classroom is, is, a, is a platform that is really, really powerful and can support all those different situations. Fantastic. Tom, it was an absolute pleasure. No, thank you. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Really enjoyed this discussion. I hope it's one of many and uh, we touch base again in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Super. Thank you, everyone. And uh, that's the end of our show. Until next time, bye for now. That's the end of this episode as we end on a comma until next time.